0: Hello, everyone. It's Matthew DeMello, and we're back with another episode of The Fiona Show, Cross-Border Solutions Transfer Pricing Podcast. Today, we're taking on one of the most notorious transfer pricing regimes of all time, that transfer pricing anomaly we like to call Brazil. Talk about marching to the beat of your own drum. I mean, Brazil is not a member of the OECD. It has its own version of the arm's length principle. It doesn't allow for profit-based methods. It doesn't use the interquartile range. It doesn't include functional and risk analysis in its protocol. It offers no methodology hierarchy, and to top it all off, it requires documentation to be prepared in Portuguese. Who speaks Portuguese? Let me sum it up for you. This country takes everything you thought you knew about transfer pricing, all those years of education and on-the-job experience, not to mention sound logic and reasoning, and throws it right out the window. But hold on, no need to uproot your manufacturing plants just yet. Brazil's transfer pricing regime is on the verge of change. In May 2017, the country applied for membership to the OECD and that single request helped launch a series of studies, events, and discussions that became known as the OECD Brazil Project. How did that work? How long did it take What did they discover? Good questions. And that's what we'll be talking about today. Correction, that's what Tom Balco, the head of the Transfer Pricing Unit in the Center for Tax Policy and Administration at the OECD, will be talking about today. He led the OECD Brazil project on behalf of the OECD, and we're thrilled to have him here, to say the least. Along with Tom, we have Mimi Song here today, Cross-Border Solutions Chief Economist and these days podcast superstar. And of course, Fiona is here too.
1: Hello, Matt. Nice to get a mention. Finally.
0: Hi, Fiona. Great to have you as always. Just a reminder, you can earn CPE credits by listening to this podcast. Here's how it works. We're planting two code words in this episode. Send both to the Fiona Show at xbs.ai and we'll email you your certificate. Simple right now. Before I turn over the mic and we get going on Brazil's crazy, I mean, unique transfer pricing rules. Let's take a look at transfer pricing in the news. feel like country-by-country country reports are gaining on you? Well, there's a reason for that. They are. The OECD just published phase two of its annual report. The focus, the outreach of those CBC reports. Here's the gist. The number of jurisdictions embracing CBC reports is increasing. Yep, you heard right. More countries are requiring CBCs and worse, divulging the coveted information they contain. For multinationals, this means three things. Scrutiny, more scrutiny, and ridiculous amounts of scrutiny. As if tax authorities weren't Big Brother-esque enough already. Just to refresh your memory... Just to refresh your memory, the CBC report is one of BEPS four minimum standards, and it requires tax administrations to collect and exchange data as in multinationals revenue, pre-tax profits and income taxes as freely as high school girls share their secrets in a locker room. The CBC report is one of BEPS' four minimum standards, and it requires tax administrations to collect and exchange data, as in multinationals' revenue, pre tax profits, and income taxes, as freely as high school girls share secrets in a locker room. This information free for all started in June 2008, and now it's openly traded among 2,200 relationships. The report drew a few other interesting conclusions. Some were not so interesting, and we left those out. You're welcome. Of the 116 jurisdictions surveyed, at least 80 have legally embraced CBC reports for m and that have a consolidated threshold of 750 million euros. About 41 others are on their way. 67 jurisdictions have established competent authority agreements, and only 12 jurisdictions received action plans to make data more secure. You have to admit, that's kind of impressive, and if you're curious about the future of CBC reports, and I mean who isn't, in fact, the group is already in the throes of assessing if CBC reports include the right information, if they should require more information, um, heck no, and if that 750 million euro consolidated threshold is in fact on the money. If you're still on the edge of your seat wondering which side will sway the judge in Glencore's high-profile and drawn-out transfer pricing case against the Australian Taxation Office, you can finally relax. On September 3rd, the court sided with Glencore and dismissed three years' worth of tax bills totaling about 92 million Australian dollars. Translation, 62 million American dollars. Tough loss, mates. The dispute was about the same thing that every taxation and multinational seemed to be arguing about these days. The elusive arm's length principle, the ATO, determined that down under based Glencore subsidiary Cobar Management Proprietary Limited had undercharged Swiss-based Glencore International AG by about 241 million Australian dollars for copper concentrate mined in the Aussie state, New South Wales. There are a lot of details, of course, but we'll just cut to the chase. The MNE group had an intercompany price sharing agreement that determined the cost of the copper concentrate to be 23% of a copper reference price listed on the London Metal Exchange. A quote, quotational period optionality with back pricing, unquote provision, in the contract allowed Glencore International AG to select a price quote on different dates based on when the prices would be the most advantageous. The ATO wanted to remove that provision and use a quotational period and a market-based method to determine the arm's length range. The judge said no to that, stating contractual terms are common in arm's length transactions and altering contractual terms is inappropriate. Come on, ATO, you're better than that. So what does Glencore's good news mean for other MNEs? Sorry, the verdict is still out on that one. Speaking of countries that are increasing their transfer pricing scrutiny efforts, Canada's multilateral instrument goes into effect on December 31st, 2019. It's no secret that the country has embraced the BEPS initiative, and now the MLI will revise about 84 of the country's 93 tax treaties, many of which begin right away on January 1st, 2020. It won't affect the Great White North's treaties with the U.S., of course. We're still holdouts on the MLI. The MLI's major goal is to eliminate double taxation. The trick is to do that without creating opportunities for zero taxation. And walking that tightrope isn't such a bad way to kick off the new year. why should you have to spend your whole R&D tax credit on getting your RD tax credit? It's your money. Keep more of it with Cross Border Solutions, the global leader in AI driven tax solutions. Request a demo today? Visit xbs.ai slash RD. That's xbs.ai slash RD. No doubt you've read his quotes in OSA International Tax Review, TP Week, M&E Tax, maybe 360 Law. You've probably heard him speak at a conference or two somewhere along the line. Over the last few years, his calendar has been full of them. Our guest today, Tom Balko, is a transfer pricing legend. He joined the OECD in 2017, but his long and varied career in international taxation started long before that. A Czech and Slavic National. Uh, Tom worked as the General State Council and head of international taxation at the Slovak Republic's Ministry of Finance. Not a bad thing for an OECD policymaker to know how tax administrations think and operate. He taught taxation courses at universities in South Africa and Kazakhstan where he also served as the director of the Central Asian Tax Research Center. He's chaired tax working groups at the American Chamber of Commerce and even put in some time at a few of the big four. Don't worry, Tom, we're not going to hold that against you. Welcome to The Fiona Show. Thank you so much for being here. I know we have a lot of territory to cover today, and I know your time is tight, so I'm going to hand off the mic to Mimi and let you both take it away.
2: Thank you so much, Matthew. So, Before we get started, and Tom, you know, I've also been at various conferences, and I've seen you speak, and we may have run into each other at at various conferences. So it's very nice to speak with you again. And before we get started on talking about Brazil, we do want to learn a little bit more about you. So can you tell us, how did you get started in tax?
3: Well, (laughs) (laughs) so so, so, um, let me think. It was... um it was in the let's say I think it was 1990 when I started to do an internship in, in Deloitte, and that's when I got exposed to the to the you know both tax and and uh, accounting professions, and uh, and gradually I I uh, started to specialize into international tax. Uh, mainly through the postgraduate study, I did the LLM in international tax law in Vienna, uh, where I studied in 2000. 2003, um, and uh, afterwards I entered the arena of international tax. Initially as a as a um, uh, stagiaire at the European Commission in Brussels, dealing with the harmonisation of the EU tax legislation. But then gradually uh, having uh, short-term contracts uh, and engagements with the Ministry of Finance uh, uh, in in Chile in Santiago. Uh, then uh, afterwards was Ministry of Finance of Czech Republic. Um, and um, and uh, then the career continued with the um, work with the IBFD, uh, International Bureau of Fiscal Affairs in Amsterdam, then I joined the private sector, uh, PwC in Kazakhstan, that's how I got to Kazakhstan in the first wow. place. Mm-hmm. And, and, then, and uh, then I stayed on for a number of years also teaching, as was mentioned in the introduction, but doing tax policy work with the countries in that region. And returning to Europe in 2014 to, the, to join the Ministry of Finance of Slovakia, before joining the OECD in, uh, in September 2017. So that's that's quick overview
2: that's, of my that's, career. Standpoint. That's quite a, a very uh, rich background, and 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 that's amazing. I mean, you've traveled all over the world, and you've had such a such a rich background of experience. How has all that experience, or how is it helping you, really at, at the OECD currently?
3: Well, it it really helped in terms of being able to to, to see the different tax systems and and work uh, and uh, and operate in in environment of different countries, which uh, which many understand and appreciate both the similarities but also the differences mm-hmm. between different countries' approaches. We, we are having, uh, let's say, a lot of a lot of convergence on different elements of international tax principles. We have model tax conventions uh, where countries may follow uh, either the OECD model convention or UN model convention. So that creates a lot of similarities, but there are still a lot of specificity and nuances between the countries as well. Um, and uh, I think this international career helped me to appreciate that uh, and understand also the underlying policy objectives, where those differences are. Uh, Originate um, and what is the thinking behind it. Uh, so that, that that has been very important and useful. Um, at the same time, of course, working and living in different countries made me appreciate better different, uh, let's say, cultural backgrounds,
1: right? Um, and see the gl-
3: and see the global business also how the different multinational companies operate in different parts of the world. And uh, so, so yeah, it, I think it was absolutely useful to 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 collect that those bits and pieces of mosaic and 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 that that that, that prepares a person for for uh, a job involving different uh, different countries uh, different jurisdictions their their policy backgrounds yeah and objectives
2: and trying to build consensus right especially with all these different cultural backgrounds and and sort of initiatives right locally
3: yeah no that that's correct I think that Part of it uh, was, uh, I think, it, it made me learn some patience, uh, but also understanding <laughs> of where the countries come from. Mm-hmm. And, and and sometimes sometimes it's a, it's also lack of proper communication between the countries. That uh, what I learned in the current job is that uh, oftentimes when we were not reaching consensus, it was actually due to misunderstandings, rather right? mm-hmm. than rather than strong opposition or unwillingness to to reach a consensus. So uh, that has been uh, and and part of the background that I had from my previous jobs actually helped me to, to be able to dive in the issues of countries and their strong positions and, 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 and work with them to see whether we can find a way to make it work uh, together with the others. And, and it was working well, so it was very useful.
2: Wow, that's, that's amazing. That's fantastic. And, you know, I you're based, where are you exactly based in Europe right now?
3: I, I'm based in Paris. Right now I'm in the office uh, in Paris.
2: Oh, that's Fantastic. Um, I need to get out there one day. (laughs) So so being in Paris and and working at the OECD based in Europe, I know that there are lots of different transfer pricing initiatives that you're working on. Do you find that the um, specific, any any specific concerns, transfer pricing related concerns in Europe versus the U.S. per se? Do you think that there are sort of different um, perspectives on that?
3: I don't think there are dramatically different i would say that the, the the transfer pricing rules and approaches developed in uh, in europe have been inspired to a large extent uh, by the work done in the u.s mm-hmm. and of course a lot of the multinational companies uh, originating from the u.s have been you know intensively doing business in different european countries what makes the european environment more i would say challenging is that you have a Uh, If you look just at the EU, you have 28 different countries, different jurisdictions which apply transfer pricing rules. And there could be different nuances and and differences on how the countries approach things. Even though I think most of them uh, would follow very closely the transfer pricing guidelines, you will still come across uh, with different uh, divergences, sometimes smaller, sometimes bigger, Mm -hmm. sometimes issues in application and interpretation of, of transfer pricing rules and legislation, an element of that we can kind of hear about, of course, from the media when we hear about the cases being brought by the European Commission, the DG Compact, uh, you know, where, where they address uh, the rulings issued in different countries, which shows you that there are different uh, approaches to, to application of Armstrong principle in, in Europe. It doesn't mean that there are different. Uh, there is one principle, of course, but that there right. are nuances that, that, that some countries may emphasize or may miss in application of Armstrong principle. And, of course, there are differences in, in the capacity. So not, not all the European countries have the same level of capacity in the transfer pricing function. Right. But, but overall, I would say we, we talk about the same concept, same, same principles, um, and, and, but you have them implemented in different legislations in different uh, ways. Interesting. So that would be just a very quick reaction to that question.
2: Yeah, yeah. No, and, and I I actually think that's a great segue into the main topic that we want to talk about today, which is the whole OECD Brazil transfer pricing project, especially in light of the fact that, you know, Brazil's interpretation of arms and principle, may be subtly different (laughs) than than many other countries. But so, so give us a little bit of perspective here, Tom, what is the purpose of the OECD Brazil transfer pricing project?
3: So, one, one of the objectives of, uh, of uh, OECD uh, Working Party 6, which will be transfer pricing, is also to carry out dialogue with uh, different non-OECD economies, uh, for, them, for them to understand better the OECD standard, yeah. and, of course, for us to understand better uh, what, what is their approach is, if they differ from the OECD approaches. OECD standard, uh, I would say, is, is really the international standard today, reflected in the OECD transfer pricing guidelines, followed by most countries. When you would look uh, at the United Nations Practical Manual on Transfer Pricing, it actually you know, reflects and builds on the, the, the OECD work, so it doesn't diverge. Mm-hmm. There are some nuances, but they are not conceptual differences.
2: Brazil actually applied for OECD membership in May of 2017. Is that correct, Tom?
3: So, 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 so I don't think it will be called formal application. Mm-hmm. I think there may have been expression of interest uh, okay. of, of of starting the dialogue because uh, it is a process of a dialogue between the uh, OECD countries uh, and and the and the countries that may be interested to join. Um, and uh, and uh, indeed, it, there was an expression of interest. Uh, the, the the process, of course, depends on several steps. and uh, yeah. But uh, but I think you're right in, in the terms. If, if there is a political intent on the side right. of Brazil to join OECD, yes. And it has been also reiterated uh, quite recently that this is uh, intention. And, and, uh, and so we have started our project more than a year ago. It was really genuine interest on both sides, the OECD secretariat and the Brazilian RACETA, to, to jointly explore the two systems, go together and compare them.
2: Okay, and so part of the, the part of the project goals of the whole alignment of the of the divergence of, um, you know, transfer pricing rules, regulations, and the application thereof, it, was that really resulting, you know, from the Brazilian, um, I guess, expression of interest in OECD membership. They're, they have to align, right, and adhere to the minimum standards.
3: So let, let's say that any country who is joining OECD, if, it, if the country is indeed uh, planning to join,
2: mm-hmm. it
3: will be assessed in terms of the, 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 the core principles of the Committee of Fiscal Affairs, but also other committees at the OECD. Okay. And it's true that uh, for the Committee of Fiscal Affairs, which deals with taxation matters, the arms-length principle is the core principle, uh, one of the core principles that countries need to adhere to. And they need to commit uh, to 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 use the arm's principle as a principle for prevention and also elimination of double taxation in the transfer pricing uh, area. So so if uh, you know so so for in terms of accession, yes, Brazil will be looked at to what extent it does adhere and and has the willingness and also capacity and ability to 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 basically apply the arm's length principle. Mm-hmm. I would say that the project that we have carried out and the dialogue that we have carried out actually helped uh, in terms of looking at the issues and those divergencies, not only from the perspective of, of this external motivation and, and meeting that standard,
1: mm-hmm.
3: but actually also for what would be the benefits for Brazil, uh, uh, let's say self-motivation. There could be good reasons why alignment could be beneficial for Brazil irrespective of accession. The fixed margins may not be necessarily an answer to every single situation. Sure. Uh, combined with the freedom of choice of methods it may often it often leads to the to the to the loss of revenue which is basically profit shifted out of brazil so there is there is there is losses of revenue one can look at it as an incentive to some activities or but it, they are not necessarily intended incentives so it's they are not administered they are not measured and actually they may not be very effective in <laughs> terms of achieving that objective sure uh so uh to the, so that's one motivation. Second one, the, the lack of alignment is also leading to situations of double taxation, and we, we know, uh, you know, after hundreds hundreds of years of experience of the global tax systems, that double taxation is an obstacle to trade and to investment,
1: right. and that
3: can hinder some investment opportunities that would help Brazil to, to to you know better integrate its economy into the global value chains and and benefit from the from the globalized. Uh, economy so that is the second I would say element where where there could be missed opportunities exactly because of the double taxation taking place so mm-hmm. there are at least two good reasons uh, for potential uh, internal motivations of Brazil to, to to align to the OECD standard right and, and it- the, the external by the accession.
2: And and to that point, Tom, it, it's you hear that from companies all the time. And, and, you know, my own personal perspective on that, too, is there was always a little bit of hesitation about how we treat our Brazilian legal entity. Right. And some companies are like, oh, operating in Brazil is it's just a nightmare. <laughs> so it's pretty challenging, I think, from a business perspective to to make sure that you're adhering to the rules and you know, you're not being subject to double taxation, and this whole divergence has created a lot of problems, I think, operationally.
3: Yeah, that's right. Um, I think that, of course, there are more issues than purely transfer pricing. Sure. There is also other elements of the system that that may need to be looked at and enhanced. But but you're right. It is interesting uh, kind of, I would say, contrast or paradox that uh, the rules that are intended to provide for tax certainty and simplicity uh, through those special features in fact sometimes can create uncertainty cross border uh, so there could be uncertainty about the potential double taxation outcomes and also the the simplicity does not necessarily uh, arise due to other elements of the of the system where there is a like very strong emphasis on item per item approach yeah. so yeah. the grouping of transactions it's not really an option uh, also the sometimes the documentary documentation requirements could be then excessive as a consequence and combination of the item per item approach so, so it does not necessarily deliver on the original intent of the system the way it actually uh, plays out so you're, you're right about those observations of companies we have actually quizzed. we have uh, engaged uh, uh, invited the uh, all interested MNEs to share their experience with us. Um, we have uh, developed very detailed, comprehensive questionnaire. Oh, that's great. And uh, more than 50 more than fifty MNEs actually have shared with us uh, the different experience they, they encounter, and they confirm some of these elements that, that you have mentioned based on anecdotal evidence.
2: And, well. and these are the MNEs that are providing input to this whole OECD Brazil project, right? And that project is being funded by the United Kingdom Foreign and Commonwealth
1: Office?
3: This is, this is correct. The, the, this project has been made possible through the support of the uh, UK FCO uh, office.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, basically, OECD uh, may, may carry out such special projects based on voluntary contributions of governments. We cannot accept contributions or, or support from business, and, and we are very grateful to the UK. Uh, both both the, the Brazilian colleagues and ourselves as Secretariat realize that without their support, the project wouldn't be feasible. In this, uh, in this scale and 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 uh, in intensity,
2: right? Agreed. I, I think that and the project is currently phased in three stages, right? And so, stage one is the preliminary analysis of the legal and administrative framework of Brazil's TP rules. Stage two is the assessment of the strengths and weaknesses of Brazil's existing TP rules and administrative practices, and then stage three is the exploration. Of those options for aligning Brazil's TP rules with the OECD standards, correct? And so, in between these three stages, where are you guys currently at?
3: So, so actually, all these three stages have been completed. Okay. That was the initial initial part of the project. Uh, in the divided into in those three stages, uh, we have passed also the stage three, the, the exploring the options for alignment in a let's say intermediate stage where we are. Um, uh, jointly working on preparing a blueprint uh, for, mm. for the, the, the possible alignment and also a also roadmap. Uh, do, these would be still like technical documents, which would need to be then uh, submitted for the political decision uh, to, to, to have the senior decision makers in the Brazilian government uh, uh, hopefully endorse the next steps in the alignment process so that we can enter into implementation phase. Mm-hmm. That implementation phase would hopefully start early next year, and, and it may take us uh, one or two years uh, as, at least because uh, the system will need to be changed by changing the legislation. So the new laws will have to be drafted up. The, there will be need for capacity building and and reorganization, retraining of the tax administration. So people are there. Of course, there are auditors and officers dealing with risk assessment, but uh, but people need to be trained to to for the OECD compliant uh, transfer pricing system. We also contemplate significant workstream on uh, on uh, safe harbors and simplification measures to to, to make uh, the, the the new system administrable for the for both for the tax administration, but also for comp- for the taxpayers uh, to make it easy to comply with. So, so a huge project uh, ahead potentially if if the. Uh, government will will endorse uh, the the
0: next steps. Excellent, and I'm actually going to cut in very quickly with our first CPE code word, and that word is magnanimous, as in the host of the Fiona Show is extremely magnanimous. And back to you guys.
2: Okay, and so Tom earlier, I know you were uh, touching upon um, Brazil's unique transfer pricing regimen. So. Let's, let's reiterate a little bit. What makes Brazil's transfer pricing landscape so different from other countries around the world?
3: I think that the, the key elements which are different would be the, uh, let's say, starting from the uh, methods of the transfer pricing. So there would be only equivalence of the three traditional methods. hmm uh, recognized by the OECD, so equivalent of the cup method, cost plus and resale price method, and of course nuanced for inbound and outbound transactions. In addition to the methods, there would be principle of freedom of choice of the method rather than selection of the most appropriate method. Right, um, and um, so that will be one important feature. And within the, the those uh, equivalents of the cost plus and resale price method you would have the fixed margin element. So not using comparables, but using the fixed margins uh, for the, for, the, for those uh, two, two types of methods, uh, which, of course, are broken down they're a subset of those methods. But I would refer to them as an uh, equivalent to the OECD traditional methods of cost-pass and resale price. So that will be, I think, uh, some, some of the key elements. Other would be this item-per-item item approach, that you cannot group transactions. You are assessing each transaction uh, on its own, uh, which is a concept which exists in the customs uh, regulations. And, uh, but uh, in transfer pricing, we have learned uh, that grouping can bring more simplicity and, and more ease uh, in administration and compliance. Uh, so that's currently absent, absent, the ability to group transactions. Uh, In terms of the comparability um, uh, of transactions, uh, taken that the the comparability analysis is to a large extent replaced by the fixed margins that reduces the the relevance of the comparability analysis, which in fact is the cornerstone of Armstrong principle, but it's not fully in place Mm -hmm. uh, in Brazil. Even though it could be relevant for the the comparable uncontrolled price method, it may not be fully relevant for the other uh, methods uh, which are in place. Of course, there is no advanced pricing agreements uh, as, as a measure to prevent or, or eliminate double taxation. In terms of the transfer pricing documentation, there is no concept of local file or master file, even though recently the, the CBCR, country-by-country country reporting, was actually introduced. The two other elements of the transfer pricing documentation are not in place. Uh, there, is a, there is no guidance on intangibles. In fact, uh, Outbound payments for intangibles, outbound payments are specifically carved out from the transfer pricing uh, legislation, and there is a special, like, defensive measure, limitation to deductibility of uh, royalties, Uh, but but taken the intangibles are not reflected in the analysis, one of the key profit drivers, uh, you know, of today's business is intangibles, is completely absent from the current rules, and that's why there's, of course, loss of revenues, uh, potentially, to Brazil. Right. Uh, there is a there is hardly any guidance on 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 services. Uh, so, when the system has been developed in nineteen ninety six, services have not been necessarily the most dominant uh, element of the Brazilian industry. It was more like purchase of services from from abroad rather than exporting them. So, what you see is also a special measure like a limited deductibility of services uh, in form of technical uh, and management fees. Uh, but that and and therefore also part of the. Uh, out of the let's say guidance on, on transfer pricing on services is not in place. In fact, it's also area carved out from the legislation uh, in terms of those outbound payments. There, there is some guidance on cost contribution arrangements, but it's not in legislation. it is more like administrative guidance mm-hmm. and uh, there seems to be complete lack of guidance on reorganization of companies. So, so Chapter nine of transfer pricing guidelines is not really reflected in the in the existing rules and concepts. And, uh, so, so, you know, to, to recap, you know, like, so this, I can of tried to take you systematically through the different elements of, the, of our transfer pricing uh, system. And, of course, I would, you know, you would always start from the accurate delineation of the actual transaction. You know, that, that concept is not fully in place. There are some features which could, to a certain extent, resemble this, this element, which is also new or was, you know, further highlighted in the 2017 update of transfer pricing guidelines so it's not fully in place and uh, and of course, the analysis of risks is also not really in in you know a key key criterion or relevant over relevant in the existing system. so there are other also, fundamental elements of the system, which which diverge
0: from right. The Note to multinational companies everywhere: If you think the coronavirus has affected your bottom line, take a look at how it's devastated the economies of governments around the world. And where do you think tax authorities will look to make up for all that lost revenue? That's right, your transfer pricing. You can't afford to be non-compliant, but then you probably can't afford to pay for an overpriced consultant who bills by the hour either. Oops, sorry, Big Four. We've got the answer. Cross-Border Solutions AI-powered transfer pricing software keeps you in compliance by preparing accurate, hyper-localized reports that protect you from transfer pricing audits, penalties and adjustments and our technology is available for one flat fee a fraction of what you'd pay a big name consultant again apologies big four stay in compliance and on budget with cross-border solutions ai-driven transfer pricing software it's no wonder we're the global leader in ai-driven tax solutions there we go again i'm so sorry big you know what wait who am i kidding sign up for a free demo of cross-border solutions transfer pricing technology today at XBS.AI tp that's xbs.ai slash tp
2: and all of this uh, and clearly you you guys got a, a lot of perspective through the completion of at least the first three stages of the oecd brazil project um, and there's a lot of divergence and a lot of uh, challenges with respect to the Brazil's transfer pricing regime. I, I am curious. I mean, a lot of this information was also collected from um, data specifically from taxpayers, right? There's there's over 47 different enterprises that actually uh, gave you input and, and perspective.
3: Yeah, there, there was more than 54 companies, if okay. I'm not correct, who have completed a very comprehensive questionnaire. They, these are multinational companies from all over the world. Indeed, representing both the Brazilian uh, m and but also or headquartered in Brazil, but also m headquartered elsewhere in the world doing business in Brazil. So it was very comprehensive, uh, let's say, stock taking and evidence collection from, uh, from, the, uh, from the perspective of the multinational companies, having day-to-day experience of applying the system. We also have actually engaged uh, the governments of other countries, which we could, uh, you know, let's say, consider to be the major trading and investment partners of Brazil. Sure. And also we try to collect uh, experience uh, from their side. So what is their perspectives on potential issues arising in bilateral relations?
2: Are there any interesting or unique perspectives that actually came out of the discussions with the tax administrators?
3: Yeah, sure, Sure. no, it, it is It is interesting because on on one side we, we hear stories of potential double taxation or double taxation, which may not be effectively resolved, but it's not too many instances. But yes, some countries have flagged it up. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, what was also very interesting, some countries are flagging up the issue of double non-taxation, huh. where where the current rules of Brazil uh, don't necessarily... Uh, allocate the appropriate profit uh, to the Brazilian uh, entities while the profit ends up being shifted to the other jurisdiction, but those countries very strictly adhering to arms and principle will not pick up that income. In fact, they will be doing the downward adjustments of the tax base. And and so they have highlighted this issue as well, which could be of interest and importance of Brazil to be aware of that, that there is the risk of double non-taxation as well.
2: Exactly. I mean, and some people might even some people might even consider Brazilians transfer pricing system because of the whole formulaic approach or fixed margin approach to be to provide more simplicity and certainty. But I know based on what you've been saying, it it may not necessarily give rise to the best answers, and and there's clearly some challenges with respect to that, right?
3: Yeah, that's right. So so we we still, I mean, we were surprised um, that, uh, you know, the the key features that were supposed to contribute towards the certainty and simplicity may not always arise in in the different situations. Uh, We hear of difficulties of applying the item-per-item approach, so, addressing each transaction separately and carrying out separate, uh, let's say, choice of the method and, uh, and comparability to the extended cut method or using fixed margins uh, differently depending on what type of transactions are involved uh, rather than looking at them in their entirety or, or grouped uh, uh, approach. That's one element that, that, that increases the compliance, the burden, and creates more complexity as a consequence. Uh, the second um, uh, element would be the, the documentation requirements. As I mentioned, there is no master file and local file, but there is quite detailed documentation that must be provided to support the application of some of the specific methods like Cost Plus and Result Price methods.
2: Right, right.
3: And combined with this item per item approach, it can become quite a voluminous uh, exercise, which can uh, then uh, you know, erode some of the potential benefits of the simplicity and the certainty. The certainty may arise, but mainly in a domestic perspective. So you may have certainty that if you follow those rules which are prescriptive, the tax administration in Brazil will res- res- respect it, if you do it correctly, based on the rules. But the uncertainty will arise in cross-border situations, because the other countries may not necessarily respect the outcomes as determined by the Brazilian rules. And that's where taxpayers may face potential uh, challenge of, of other jurisdictions, uh taking a different approach and leading to double taxation. So that's where we actually have a feature of uh, increased uncertainty as a result of the divergence.
0: And before we move on, everyone, it's time for our second CPE code word. That word is conundrum, as in fixing Brazil's transfer pricing regime. Sounds like quite a conundrum. And back to you guys.
2: All right. So, Tom, just shifting gears a little bit. Financial transactions and commodities, are there any specific issues there that perhaps create different types of challenges for Brazil?
3: So, uh, yeah, uh, I would say let's start with commodities. Uh, Brazil has a specific um, method uh, which which is applicable to commodities, which is based, again, on the equivalent of a comparable uncontrolled price method. Um, and... Uh, and they are specifically using the, the, to the extent that information is available on, on market prices or commodity exchanges, this, this method would require the use of this approach. So it is a mandatory method, so it's no more freedom of choice.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
3: The taxpayer has to follow that, that, that method. On the other hand, there are quite some adjustments which companies can make for different uh, features, uh, including contractual uh, arrangements, uh, payment terms, um, um, uh, quality, quantity. Uh, so so there they are adjustments which could actually, in most cases, bring it in line, what could be potentially expected uh, also under the OECD approach. As you may be aware uh, in this area, also the OECD has uh, endorsed the relevance of the reference pricing for commodities uh, as a result of the BEPS project. So right. we have updated the section in Chapter 2 which actually recognizes that this approach could be actually in line and, and relevant as, uh, to, as a cut method as well, uh, assuming the appropriate adjustments are made. So that's where uh, we found some nuances, um, and, and and we quizzed also companies specifically on their experience. They would, they would still complain that there are not as many adjustments as they may wish to do. Sure. But on the other side, when we wanted to understand if any double taxation is arising, uh, it doesn't seem to be any evidence that double taxation does arise in respect of the commodity transactions. So that that was quite interesting finding. Uh, we here, on the other hand, we still heard from some jurisdictions um, uh, w- w- involving uh, the the commodity transactions on the other side that in fact there is still double non-taxation happening. So in fact, they, that they are doing these downward adjustments in some cases involving commodities. So it actually shows you that even though there is this special approach, it does not always necessarily provide full protection for, for BEPs. Uh, it could be perhaps that some of the adjustments may not be uh, done appropriately. Uh, so we, we, we would still need to understand better why these uh, this, uh, uh, gaps uh, or double non-taxation is arising. Um, and uh, uh, so that will be on the commodities. Uh, there could be maybe also issues that not all the commodities are covered by the prescriptive approach. That could be maybe part of the explanation for why we saw some some profit shifting still happening there sure. on, on the financial transactions. Uh, uh, Brazil has special measures dealing with the loans, intra-group loans,
1: mm-hmm.
3: uh, and that this, uh, I would say there are three features that will affect financial transactions. The, the general feature of general. Uh, um, rule on deductibility of expenses which must be that expense must be necessary and usual for the business of the company so there is like a general principle in the law which would be of relevant also when we talk about financial transactions and then there are special measures uh, specifically on the loans which would involve the the, the quantum of the loans so so debt to equity ratio um uh, uh, which would basically use the the, the fixed uh, debt to equity rule and the second feature is uh, also fixed or maximum interest rates. Uh, so there are prescriptive rules on how to calculate the interest rates with reference to the to the, to the rate uh, of uh, interest uh, issued by their, on the bonds issued by the government. Uh, so there are these, uh, let's say, special measures which could on one side protect, provide some protection from best practices, and we see similar measures also applied in other countries. But there is complete absence of rules Dealing with other financial transactions, right, such right. as guarantee, uh, cash pooling, mm-hmm. uh, intra intra group uh, reinsurance or captive insurance arrangements, hedging. So, so, there is lack of specific guidance on these areas, which kind of will pose a question. So, what what to do? And and you can perhaps consider using the cap method or then the equivalent of the cost plus and resale price methods, but then with the with the fixed margins, which could also lead to some. Quite uh, un- unusual outcomes as a consequence. So I would say, on, on financial transactions, yes, there is some guidance. Not, you know, let's say on the margin of transfer pricing rules, or maybe outside of transfer pricing rules, uh, and and there is also absence of guidance uh, for most of the financial transactions, which I would say can create uh, you know questionable outcomes uh, sometimes. Right. Uh, Uh, Sometimes I would actually be worried about the the potential bad risks involved.
2: Well, clearly there's been a significant amount of work and evaluation of the the Brazilian transfer pricing regime and and lots of uh, changes towards alignment, right? And so right now, we understand that there's, there's an idea of, you know, there's a potential immediate versus gradual alignment. And so how is an alignment anticipated to be structured? Is there some sort of taxpayer threshold for, in terms of alignment of the whole Brazil transfer pricing regime to the OECD standards?
3: So, so no decisions have been made uh, okay. on this, um, but, but it's true that we have explored these options. Uh, we have contemplated options of making only partial alignment, mm-hmm. but then we realized that that would actually lead to even more complexities. Sure. And even more difficulties with applying, let's say, dual system or, or system which is partially aligned. So, so that's why we eventually uh, ended up agreeing with Reseda at all um, that uh, the, the, the best way forward would be to do either full alignment, actually to do full alignment, uh, but the question was whether you do it in one big bank. Right. So we, everybody wakes up next January and there is new rules in place yep. and good luck with that. <laughs> or... Or, or whether we whether we will develop something like a gradual alignment, which would which would still mean that the system fully aligns, but but gradually different categories of taxpayers will will move to the new system, right? Uh, which would allow more more graduality for taxpayers. So those taxpayers who are already used to apply arms length principle, and in fact they do it all over the world, with the exception of Brazil, they could be most uh, equipped to be able to to migrate into the new system. On the other hand, the small and medium-sized enterprises, which would have, uh, you know, not have necessarily experience or resources to be able to do it uh, uh, fully, they, they could, you know, for some time, let's say two or three years, perhaps, could stay in the existing system while preparing uh, into transition, and of course, then migrating as well. So the law could maybe, you know, one option would be to have different categories of taxpayers, as you mentioned. Uh, Now it can create issues, of course, because there is also principles in the Constitution and so on, principle of equality, treating the taxpayers in the same situation similarly. So we need to be very careful about how we design that. But if this would be the way to do it, because of the benefits for the taxpayers, but also for the tax administration, to make sure that there is everybody prepared and can move to the new system gradually, Mm -hmm. so that could be one idea to be explored. And yes, we have been contemplating thresholds, but right now, uh, I mean... I would say one of the logical thresholds was the CBCR threshold, Sure. because that already exists in the legislation. And in fact, the rules already require taxpayers over a certain size to prepare CBC reports and so on. So you, you could make an argument that, in fact, treating the, the large taxpayers uh, equal among themselves could meet the, the, the requirements of equality, while it would still allow that we could build in this gradual transition rather than having Big Bang right. for everybody uh, overnight. Right, so, right. So I think that, That's the key nuance on the gradual approach. Uh, yeah. that, uh, and that It's not that the system will align gradually, but it's more like the, the taxpayers gradually entering the new system.
2: Sure. And and then, so what exactly are the next steps in trying to align Brazil with the OECD standards at this point?
3: So, so we are now continuing the dialogue with, with Retheta Federal, and, and the objective is um, to prepare uh, implementation plan so it could be uh, we actually agreed on uh, on 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 in the in the joint statement to call it a blueprint the blueprint of how the potential new system could look like so what will be the key features of that system and uh, to assure that there is alignment on the key divergences identified in the project Mm -hmm. Um, so that is that is that is the let's say the vision for the new system that is being currently prepared and of course the the second element would be the roadmap. The roadmap would be for the decision makers to understand, okay, so how do we get there uh understanding the end result based on the blueprint, but also understanding the the necessary steps to be taken in a different uh potential work streams uh, to to make it happen, for example, what needs to happen on the legislative side so what steps will will need to happen in terms of drafting primary and secondary laws, and of course uh eventually Having a dialogue with the Congress and having the laws passed.
2: Right. Uh,
3: other work team would focus on the on the tax administration and preparedness of the tax administration in terms of being able to administer the new system. Okay. Uh, other elements would involve. Um, would involve the development of the safe harbors uh, and, and make assuring also appropriate preparedness of taxpayers for them to be able to comply with the new system. So, so the, the, this is what one could expect to see in the roadmap, which would be like an annex to the blueprint. And, and we hope to, to 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 have it developed in the coming months uh, uh, and and have them presented for the for the senior decision makers. Uh, um, in in Brazil, to to hopefully give a green light so that uh, the, the process can then start and and the implementation process uh, may start.
2: Right, right. And and so, you know, in the development of the roadmap and then this blueprint, what do you think is going to be the biggest challenge or obstacle for Brazil to you know develop and, and align based on this roadmap? What do you think could be the biggest challenge?
3: So that's uh, that's a very good question. I would say that. Uh, uh, there could be a couple of challenges. Uh, I would say on the technical level, uh, and uh, I would say that there is quite a good understanding of, of the of the of the colleagues in Reseda of the key issues. I think that very important will be the communication and effective communication to the other key stakeholders, both within Reseda but also other ministries, Ministry of Economy and also other governmental institutions. So there is a full full alignment uh, on the political. Uh, direction and the decisions to be made. Uh, so, so that's one, assuring political endorsement for the way forward. Uh, that that will be very important, uh, important step and challenge to be uh, to be assured. Uh, the, the second element would be, of course, you have taxpayers who today benefit from the existing system uh, because of the uh, you know ability to underpay uh, or pay less tax than would be paid under the, the Armstrong principle. Mm-hmm. So you could expect also a challenge in terms of a lobby of uh, of uh, influential uh, stakeholders who may prefer to retain some elements of the old systems, of the old system in place because of those significant uh, potential benefits derived from the old system. But so so, so that, that I would say could be the second challenge that there could be you know undue pressure or or influence exercised by some stakeholder groups to retain uh, the old system. Uh, and we already had hints of it uh, appearing in the media, in, uh, in, uh, in, uh, in, uh, in uh, by a group of academics in Brazil and mm-hmm. who kind of still believe uh, about the strengths of the old system. They did not have a, ha- had a chance to to read the details of the report that we, are pre- that we have prepared. In fact, uh, I would mention that we are we are planning to publish the findings of the project. They expected. Uh, is hopefully in October or November to publish the, the, the all the all the findings from the three stages of the project that we have discussed because they can better inform everybody in terms of uh, what the issues are and and sometimes people can you know think praise on the on the system while not fully appreciating what what the challenges are arising. so we right. want to make sure that everybody is also Appropriately informed uh, and being able to read those reports.
2: Not to open so, up another can of worms, but but truthfully, it, I've read I've I've read, you know, positions from the Brazilian tax authority where they've said we absolutely believe in the arm's length principle and we apply the arm's length principle, even though many would argue against that. Right, Tom? So.
3: So so I think that the, maybe at the beginning of the project when we started the dialogue, uh, it was it was uh, more like taking a different uh, angle at the principle. But 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 I think that the project has helped to understand that indeed in most cases or many cases when the divergence arises, mm-hmm. we don't we don't end up in an outcome which is in line with Arms principle. So I don't think there is actually on the on the side of Brazilian authorities of the of the key technical experts, I think that there is quite a good awareness that we are not necessarily in line with the Arms principle today. Some of the academics would still argue about it, and some of the lawyers would say, "No, this is this is another way to do arms principle," but but that that is not necessarily true uh, in terms of the outcomes. Uh, maybe purely from the from you know like. Of course you can have debate about it uh, and and but I would say the majority of people if you would uh, present a different situations would agree that that the arms out- length outcomes are actually
0: not achieved in many instances. Right, right. Hi, I'm Matthew Demello and you may know me as the host of the Fiona Show Cross Border Solutions Weekly Transfer Pricing Podcast. And while I love to discuss transfer pricing, this podcast isn't the only place you can hear me doing it. Good stuff, I know. Chief Economist Mimi Song leads the sessions. I just ask the occasional obvious question. Since our program is NASBA certified, you can earn one CPE credit for joining each session. Pretty sweet. So what are you waiting for? Join us for Transfer Pricing University every Tuesday and Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern. Classes are free, so now you really have no reason to miss it. Sign up at xbs.ai/tpu.
2: In terms of, you know, Brazil being able to revise its rules and regulations completely and follow this roadmap, I clearly they're going to have to invest in a lot of personnel and get a lot of training on on the other types of methods, you know, beyond the three methods that they have today they're going to, to your point, they're going to have to make sure they understand the elements of preparing a good and robust functional analysis, right? Understanding the value chain and across the different entities that are involved in, in the contribution to their entire organization. And then they're going to have to further invest in databases and, and things of that nature and and perhaps even, you know, restructure the, the way that they do assessments and, and dispute resolution and things of that nature, Right.
3: I, I agree. A L- lot of capacity building will need to happen um, in terms of uh, training and, and retraining the auditors. Uh, div, you know, re- refocusing the risk assessment function for transfer pricing, potentially developing uh, transfer pricing uh, economic analysis uh, functions uh, within the tax administration to support the the, the TP audit um, work. Uh, of course, uh, um, as we can see in other parts of the world. Uh, There can still be different ways to interpretation of arms principle, and we see disputes arising um, around the world, and that that requires also effective uh, uh, function to deal with dispute resolution. So so there is significant work to be done on the tax administration side. We are now carrying out an assessment to to assess to what extent the existing resources could be retrained and, and utilized because of course uh, if people already understand the concepts of transfer pricing, and, and 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 they operate in a special you know like nuancing uh, of the rules uh, with the current system. Uh, we 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 would like to see to what extent we can use the existing uh, experts uh, they already have, and but to train them to 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 apply the system in line with our system. Right, so. right. But yep. I agree with you. There will be need for comparability in uh, data and information, so databases and systems will need to be developed. And we, we, we probably will need to invest heavily on developing the safe harbors, because that could simplify work both for the taxpayers and the tax administration. And and as you know, the safe harbor could actually provide similar degree of simplicity, but of course more, more, more carefully being uh, designed and refined for the specific economic circumstances, rather than having the one-size-fits-all kind of approach. So that will be also one of the important elements of the ingredients of the new system to make sure there's, like, really number of simplification measures and safe harbor features uh, to to, to make life bearable. Um, Otherwise, it would be too much of a a jump from the current system to the uh, full-fledged Armstrong principle uh, without having such a uh, simplification measures and safe harbors.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, there's there's clearly been a lot of work and still a long road ahead, but it, it's tremendous, the amount of effort that you guys at the OECD have, have put forth in this project. And I, I personally commend you, and, and good luck as as you continue down this road. And thank you so much for your time, Tom. This has been absolutely wonderful. Yep. I think I'm going to hand it over to Matt.
0: Well, who knew a deep discussion about transfer pricing could be so much fun? Thank you so much again, Tom, for making time for us. I hope you'll come back and join us again. This podcast was hosted, edited, and engineered by yours truly, Matthew DeMello. Marilyn Lynn Mitchum-Strom, our executive producer, writes our scripts. Listeners, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, The Fiona Show, on iTunes or Spotify, and we'll keep you in the loop on the transfer pricing world every week. I mean, Brazil is just one of the OECD's projects. There are plenty of others, and we plan to tackle them all right here on The Fiona Show.